Hi, welcome to the How Not to Think podcast, the podcast that gets you thinking about thinking, about disruptive ideas, new creative ways of viewing things, getting rid of old stereotype conventions. I'm Dr. Howard Rankin, and today I am delighted to have with me, all the way from Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, Ambutelo, uh, who has a really interesting story, and she is one of the founders of Exponential individuals. And great to have you with us and great to see you again. Thank you so much, Howard. It is so wonderful to be with you on this show. And I'm excited for what we're going to unpack on this story. I know we're going to be going with the flow. So let's see what we get to. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, the only set question that I have for my guests typically is just tell us a little bit about how you got to this particular point in your life with this perception, vision, and doing what you're doing? So I like to go back to my time in, in the corporate world. And I think a lot of women tend to put a lot of pressure on themselves to make it to C-suites and to kind of almost mold their personalities to fit the traditional characteristics of you know, alpha male leaders, right? We don't even realize ourselves doing it, but as we work our way up, we shut down our beautiful natural abilities of empathy and um, authentic collaboration from a place of kindness and love. And we just end up becoming more, I would say masculine. And it's, it's a real shame because in the corporate world, the one thing I realized is leaders who, male leaders who actually embraced feminine qualities on their leadership teams were able to have teams that really did beautifully because you had these complementary skill sets and, you know, both a male leader and feminine leader were, you know, felt safe to perform the way they saw was authentic. And so for me, I really, um, I went down the path of being a hyperachiever put a lot of pressure on myself. My days would start at 5 a.m. in the morning and I would go to sleep at around midnight or 1 a.m. I had my own um, passion projects that I was pursuing um, outside my job. But then at work, um, especially coming from um, an Indian background, so my father and mother are from India and our ancestors have always been, you know, very focused on good grades and doing well in, in the corporate world and you know, status matters and how you climb the ranks matters. And it's all for good intention because that's the way things have always been. I didn't even realize the amount of pressure that I was putting on myself until, and this story is a little different than the traditional, my life did hit a wall in 2018, 2019 in regard to my own personal relationships, in regard to the way I felt walking into the office, I started to feel numb and pretty dead and unsatisfied on the inside. And I didn't know where that was coming from because I was always a, a positive person. I was known to have that characteristic of optimism, but I just could not for the life of me summon that anymore. It just felt so difficult. And it wasn't about the feeling of this numbness that got me to shift. What actually got me to shift was my best friend. 
who was on the leadership team in my previous organization with me. And she ended up having um, a really unfortunate event happen to her. One day she didn't show up at work and it was very out of character for her not to call in sick. And she was managing people. So everyone knew her, just a beautiful soul. Um, and she didn't come in and her team it came up to me and they said, you know, Anne, have you heard where she is? And I said, no, you know, it's not, did she message anyone? And, and everyone said no. And there was this little intuitive voice um, that just said, go check on her. A common friend of ours, um, you know, we were sitting down and he said, I think something's up. And so I drove over to her house. And when I got there, you know, she was lying in bed, her eyes were rolled back. Um, her nanny was in the house frantic because she thought she was dead. And I, I switched on automatically into this autopilot mode, which, which I'm very good at doing, like shut down the emotions. Don't, you know, don't, don't kind of cry about it or fret, just get on with what needs to be done. Took her to the hospital, to the emergency room. And the minute we got there, she started to have seizures one after the other. And we had to plug her into an oxygen tank and, her journey began where, you know, she 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 was plugged out of this world for three months. Mm -hmm. We flew her out of the country to Germany to get treatment because we didn't know what was going on. So mm -hmm. um, it was me and some of her closest friends that were trying to find the right resources and contacts that would give us some hints. And I remember when I got to the ER, I asked the first doctor I saw, I said, does this have anything to do with stress? And he said, no, there's probably something that, that you know, there's probably something that we're going to find. And this woman, an extremely healthy woman, took care of her fitness, you know, um, living a good life. Yes, she had problems, right? Like we all do. But she didn't, she didn't know how to process these emotions, which is what we realized later. So when we flew her out of the country and she woke up in the ICU about four months later, right? I mean, for me, this was someone I was speaking to every day who was just gone overnight in the state of coma and on heavy medication, drugged. She had a hemorrhage, we had to fly her out of the country. And I said, my goodness, life is so precious. The people in our life are so precious. What we're doing matters because we don't know when our time is up. And I remember when, when we started talking again, when she regained her speech, which she had to teach herself how to speak again, she had to regain motor function again, still on the journey to recovery till this day. But I remember one of the first conversations we had was, was any of it worth it? Was all that stress and all the, you know, fighting to be validated or be seen really the meaning of life? And I think for me, her story was, was one of my, the main driving forces for me to really go within. At that time, my life started to take a shift. So my relationships fell apart. I was exited from the company I was in. 
and the leadership team disintegrated. I had to disintegrate my team. So it was the absolute um, disintegration of the ego in just a couple of months. And when all you when you place all your value on the roles that you have, the work that you do, it's it it becomes very difficult to deal with when you're done with all of that and you're left alone in the in, in the room, you know, and you're thinking, what what was this for? Right. And and my best friend was was in a hospital. So I think that for me was was really um the starting point to go deeper. I was all, always seeking a deeper understanding on the meaning of life. And I always knew since I was a kid, you know, that I, that, that was, that there was something that was going to go back to in that space of trying to understand the deeper meaning of life. Because I remember when I was around 25, I started to look, write a book about the theology, like the different religions and how there's a common thread between them like they're all saying the same thing and there's some there's something that's that we've messed up as mankind you know there there's a need for a new meaning yet we fight about the very things that should be bringing us together which is a deeper meaning of life and so after everything happened in 2019 moving forward i i think i made a vow to myself that my relationships come first and family comes first. Um, and the things that matter to my heart are the things that I will pursue. And so I got very focused on trying to follow my intuition, understand what my purpose was, experiment with what would truly speak to my heart and not settle for anything less than that, not settle. Yeah, that's a, an amazing story, and I could see why it would have such an impact on you. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, sometimes it takes events like that to shift our perceptions. Absolutely. You know, we're so they're so ingrained, we're so attached to them, we probably don't even think about them, or certainly think about the fact that they're completely changeable and we can stop doing this and start doing something else. But typically it is a story like yours that takes you from um, sort of being very successful but imprisoned in some way to saying it's not worth it. That's not what I'm about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I look back now and I... I'm so grateful. I feel like every moment was such a beautiful teacher. Of course, in those moments, I never felt that way when you're consumed by the pain. That's why I believe so much that people have to process the pain and process the anger to get to the other side. Don't shove it under the rug. And only then can you look back and say, that was a teacher that helped me that was not my path that showed me the path right thank you person who made me angry thank you person who you know broke my heart thank you person who pushed my buttons right now i know my triggers absolutely absolutely uh you know i've certainly 
discovered that, and I'm just so grateful that I did. Um, unfortunately, we still, in many cultures, have this view that it's meant to be a perfect life, and and unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Um, a perfect life would be actually very boring, and it would also suck. Um, and <laughs> some of the listeners, quite simply put, <laughs> some some of the listeners have heard the story before, but it's it, it is worth mentioning again in this context. When I was still in the UK working uh, as a psychologist in a private, large private hospital, one mon- Monday mornings we used to get together, have you know who's been admitted, who's going to take them on, you know that sort of stuff. And one Monday morning, a pretty well-known person in the self-help field at that time had been admitted and I was uh, assigned to be his therapist he's a great guy great guy his problem though here he was in his probably late 40s he just encountered the first serious problem he'd had in his life and there were two issues with that one he had no idea how to deal with it And two, he was beating himself up so badly, he had to be admitted for depression into a psychiatric hospital. And if ever there was a lesson for a relatively young psychologist at the time, it was, hey, you know, the challenges in life are sent to help us grow in amazing ways. I've certainly found that personally. Those are the times where you get those insights. You get those, you understand what, you get, understand what life is about, what your life is about, what you want to do with it. And I'm just so grateful. It's unfortunate. It's only because I don't know who your friend was. I'm grateful that didn't happen. You know, the physical problem didn't happen to you and you were able to learn through your compassion and, and empathy. But, you know, um, yeah. life sucks sometimes. It does. Some, somebody said to me once, have you ever heard of happy protesters? <laughs> right? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh. I think the person who says that really well, just like you did, you know, is Gabor Mati. And his work on trauma and compassionate healing. And he just says, right, like when someone's not in a good place, typically we try so hard to get them out of it. And he says, can you sit with them in their darkness and wait till they're ready to get out? That was the most beautiful, beautiful thing I've ever heard. And I realized exactly how people feel every time someone may be depressed or broken or sad. And people say, it's going to be fine. Come on, lighten up. You know, <laughs> just thinking. Oh, the worst thing you can say, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, it'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Shut up. <laughs> it, is, it is one of the issues, you know, one of the achievements that I'm most grateful for and I hate to use the word proud of, but glad that I had the chance, was a very, very traumatized patient they had. As a result, she had just a horrendous background. And here she was sort of 
entering midlife, you know, with kids and what have you. And I knew all of that stuff had to be processed. It just had to be. It was hiding. It was manifesting in different ways. As painful as it was going to be, it had to be processed. And we spent 12 years unpacking the disaster that was her life up to that point. And she emerged probably for herself, as herself, for the first time in life. And the last 20 years, she's been amazing, just done amazing things. But going through that experience with someone who has been incredibly traumatized, it is difficult, but it's what you have to do. And unfortunately, as you, as you say, even within a profession, you're supposed to be helping. It's let's just try to cover it up, give you some medication, make you feel better. No, no, no. You've got to process it. And the more traumatic it is, the harder it'll be, the more necessary it is to do that. 100%. 100%. I mean, sooner than later, right? And it was such a blessing that she had you to work with for 12 years, right? But so many people don't have either the money or the guidance. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting because my <laughs> parents initially were funding the therapy, but as it progressed, they backed off. And she really didn't have any resources. And I said, well, one day you will. You know, you pay me what you can. I don't care. We're going through this together. And we're going to emerge. So we did that. And um, a couple of years after we terminated therapy, she presented me with a rather large check, <laughs> uh, which was almost funny. I mean, it, it wasn't about the money. It was, and I learned so much. I learned so much from it. No, imagine. So, uh, and what so, a beautiful soul, right? For you to do that and support. And this is where empathy comes in, right? It's it's not easy. It's not easy. And not not everyone would be willing to. Yet here you helped her find herself. Unpack. Yeah. She yeah. did the work, she did the but work. she needed the com she needed the companionship. Yeah, no, no, no. She needed that. There was no way she would have ever done that on her own. No way. And this is not about me. This is just about the process. I mean, uh, this is just the process. You have you have to have that. There's no way you can do it otherwise. Um, okay, so. These sorts of experiences, and particularly this major one, helped reset your vision, actually, it sounds like, and your self-perception and what you wanted to do with life, right? Yeah, I think it was a turning point in my life, um, for sure. And, I mean, it also brought me to the point that I wanted to bring up on this um, on this interview the beauty of empathy and the beauty of compassion and the beauty of slowing down when it gets too fast and taking a pause. That's all it needed, you know, to actually move away from a very traumatic situation, 
right? It was the knowingness that it was okay to slow down, to heal, to pause. And unfortunately, in you know, capitalist world, right? Like people who get sucked into performance metrics are constantly in that pro productivity cycle, right? The more you can do, the better, the more you can do, the better. And unfortunately, people lose sight that it's even hindering themselves. Like the, the go-getters that I knew, right? Like we call them the, in, in the DISC um, psychometric test, they label them as the assertive, more dominant ones. And they have a red profile. Um, and when I looked around the leadership room, 80% of the leadership team were all dominant go-getters, right? And now when you put a whole bunch of people in a room who are dominant go-getters and won't necessarily empathize with someone else's opinion, um, don't necessarily have the um, nature to collaborate, that's natural to them, like a natural sense of collaboration, you start to get a very divided team. And this, this doesn't necessarily need to just be in organizations. It can also be in a home, right? And this is why, I'm, you know, a man and woman come together. And, you know, there's a beauty in, in the complementing natural abilities of masculine energy and feminine energy. And even in leadership, right? So I've had conversations with women that have said, you know, yeah, but you, you know, that kind of, those kind of skills can be kept at home because you need to nurture kids and, you know, compassion and empathy and the soft skills. And, and I laugh now, but I wasn't laughing back then. I was a woman who agreed with that back then mm -hmm. because I thought that was the right way to be until I realized now that unless we step into leadership roles more authentically, we cannot bring the harmony of this planet that we so need. Yes, more women need to be speaking from their heart and sharing their stories and really leading, right, on beautiful, impactful projects, but not in a manner that makes them a man. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's the masculine tendencies can complement the feminine tendencies. And so I remember um, my last corporate job, we had this conversation around how more women were becoming alpha females and that, you know, it was a cool thing. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm an alpha female. And I was just thinking, you know, we're built to nurture, we're built to carry a child, we're built to care. And that care can be extended to teams and that care can bring out the creativity of people. And so I think one of my biggest lessons as well from that whole incident um, that spanned a couple of years of my life, and then even backtracking to my childhood, you know, I, I realized that I... I wanted to, I, I had subconsciously got to a point where I believed being soft, you know, was not good. And being soft meant you showed more love, that you would cry and you would, you know, lo and behold, in my thirties, I never cried when I was growing up. 
I got to 30 <laughs> and the floodgates opened. <laughs> and so I think, you know, I think it's important to to share that message, right? That um, vul vul vulnerability is a good thing and that we should allow it both in men and women. And in any team or in any home or in any community, really honor the natural abilities of men and women for what they are, not for what we back then hoped they would be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there is no question about that. You know, fortunately, well, I guess there's two sides to that. Fortunately, I think some of some of the corporate environments understand that now, but not all. We've certainly moved some from, you know, the the old toxic masculinity rules of uh, gotta be working, constantly working, doing other stuff, no time for play, creativity, imagination, tears, I mean, you name it. No time for that. Do, 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 do. And honestly, um, as an overall sort of philosophy, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And when all that leads to is burnout, misery, unhappiness, loss of values, and it doesn't make any sense. You know, we have brains that work at many different levels. Right. And so why should we just be stuck at one level all the time? And if we're not there, feel bad about it. It's crazy. Right. Crazy. Absolutely. And Absolutely. The value of stepping back, of creativity, of mindfulness, you know, all of those activities that get you to experience the world differently. If you've only got one set of glasses, it's not going to work because your vision is going to change and they're going to be useless, right? Absolutely. 100%. There was something that Simon Sinek had said, and I'm pretty sure you've watched this, this mm -hmm. um, little snippet video that's been going viral. And he talked about the Navy SEALs and how, how they recruit the best teams, right? And to create a team, they've got to know that they've, got each other's back and they've also got to be extremely skilled at what they do Correct. so there's a level of performance that's needed and it's top tier and there's a level of trust that's needed and now the aspect of trust is based on authenticity and authenticity comes from showing your natural abilities speaking your truth right living in a manner that's aligned in some way to a deeper purpose because that just then emunates from the being right from from a human being and he said and he did it you know he sat down with um with the seals and he was like so how do you pick the people for your team i mean it's top performers and and they said no there's two criteria that we actually go for yes performance super important they've got to be fit because they've got to physically be there for each other and they've got to be sharp because they've got to know the protocol so they can get get each other out of trouble. So intelligence, obviously, knowledge base, you know, skill set, physical strength, great. He said, but trust. 
was the second, it wasn't the second, it was the first thing, right? That it was trust and performance that they evaluate a person on. And so how do they evaluate trust? They put someone in a team, right? And they look at how they get along, like how are they building deep, meaningful relationships with each other? And what they what they said was when they're picking their best, they say this. It's perfectly fine if there's someone who has lower performance but is highly trusted. We would rather take them on the team that someone than someone who is a high performer with low trust. And to me, that 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 you know that says it all, right? That Absolutely. this is this this is how companies, teams, communities, like this is how we create those deep bonds. Yet it's not mainstream. It's not it, it's not mainstream. Not yeah. yeah not recognized or articulated yeah and in the military particularly i think people would be surprised because they think of them as just you know hard ass performers and that's all they are um and that may be true obviously for a certain percentage but there's a lot more where it's different um i was working with a military physical therapist who was treating a lot of neuromuscular injuries during the uh, uh iraq afghan wars um and the, one of the problems they had is these people who had horrendous injuries did not want to be honorably discharged. They didn't. They they felt part of the family. That was that was their purpose. That was their mission. And there was even one guy who was on a plane back to the U.S. He got off the plane and basically went AWOL to the back to the front lines. So he could be with his family. And it, that's exactly what it is. That's what a team is. Because just think, just think of the power, the motivational yeah. power of being with a group of people that you just get on with, respect, are authentic. I mean, that's so powerful than just a group of people you don't even know and don't care about. Absolutely. I think I think I was blessed with a great culture in mm -hmm. the previous startup I was in. And we kind of built that culture from the ground up. In fact, the woman I was talking about who had that incident was part of that team that actually nurtured, you know, that that very beautiful culture. And I I believe that what ended up happening is like every startup, you get bought out and then you shift all your focus to getting ready for an exit, right? And culture goes out the window. And it's sad because this is what collapses businesses. This is what collapses creativity. And then companies need to get back into that groove. And it typically takes anywhere from two to five years to rebuild a culture. But culture is so important, like value-based systems where people really know that before they get in they know that you know honesty is important they know that transparency is important they know that um openness and and fun are important right and then they they start to think oh these are my top values and i can resonate with this and 
I feel I'll be safe in this space. And then you get in and well, hopefully the leaders are living up to that, right? right. If not, there's going to be a disconnect and there you're going to have people leaving, right? But at least there's this foundational um, language that people can bond over. Mm-hmm. And I think the previous the previous startup I was in did that beautifully. When we'd have crisis, you know, people would jump in over the weekend and we were, we just wanted to help. We, everyone just wanted to help. And, and I think that, that I learned a lot. I learned so much and I carry those memories with me because as I move forward, you know, if I, if, if anything I replicate from that previous experience, it would go back to culture. I would replicate that kind of passion, tightness of of people yes. in a community. Yes. From that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which leads us to EXI, exponential yes. individuals. Uh, tell us your thoughts on this, which you helped Costa. So this stems from, I mean, it goes without saying, you know, the experiences I've just shared and my passion for helping people not get to that stage. Although I do know, and I now recognize that sometimes it's inevitable. The soul has lessons to learn and whatever narrative, you know, the listeners have on what a soul is and, you know, um, the journey we go through and why we go through that. I won't unpack that because that will, you know, require another three hours. of philosophy (laughs) (laughs) i would love to but i i think for me um knowing that we can help people if they have tools and they have access to help it's just the awareness that there are ways out of a dark hole that is really the essence of why i felt so passionate about exi and you know what's funny, um, Howard? It's like when I think about the backstory of EXI, it's almost like I stumbled into the creation of it. You know how people say that they often know their purpose and oh, yeah. what exactly they're going to do? Mm-hmm. And it was just a conversation with with Eric, you know, and, and, and we just said, let's set up a call. And let's see who's interested to unpack you know, this, this, you know, what we could potentially do for individuals on the planet, the building blocks of everything, right? How can we serve more individuals to tap into their self-awareness, their healing, their understanding on the meaning of life? We had no idea where it was going to go. And one thing led to another. And then we got beautiful people such as yourself join, you know, the founding team and help us built together right and for me that is testament that the project can go somewhere you know it's not so much about this just the idea coming into light I knew I started to realize where this was going just by stumbling one step into the next into the next from call after call just realizing, oh, we're going to do this a little bit. You know, we're going to try this a little. We're going to, you know, maybe we're going to experiment with that and let's see where it goes. And I feel that's the beauty of it. Sometimes we take ourselves so seriously 
And we put such stringent plans on our life and our ideas without giving it the breathing room to take form with other people in community. And, and so for me, I believe that the success of EXI are the beautiful minds and hearts that have come to the community and who want to grow it and want to help people and serve people. And, and I know we'll go places because of it. Yeah, I think that's really well articulated. And I think it's true. Uh, and I think that although it may seem ironic, actually, if you understand what you've been saying, it is actually necessary for an organization committed to you know meaning and purpose grows organically. And it's not, there's not, a, I mean, yes, at some point there's strategic planning, but it didn't start with you having an idea and say, oh, okay, well, we need to do this and this and this, and we need to get this out and that out. And, you know, and in five years we'll have, you know, it, it grew organically. It really and, did. It, and, yeah. and that's capturing the natural resources of people, of individuals, all sorts of things that are there and letting them coalesce into a meaningful group in this case. And I certainly see that is exactly what has happened with exponential individuals, thanks to your leadership and also Eric's. But that has been a huge part of it. It's a, a different way of thinking about an organization, probably because money was not the prime purpose right as soon Absolutely. as the money and monetization becomes the prime goal then all these systems and all this stuff has to come in place and if you don't get this amount of money this month you know it's not working and all of that and money takes over and then the wrong mindset and there's some interesting youtube videos out there i'm actually blocking on um, one of the guy's names that i saw who talks about that how that has changed that now we have creative people coming up with organic ideas but then as soon as it's well we got to make this an economic reality they kind of step aside and then a whole team of managers and performance experts take over right it's almost like the pioneers done his thing or her thing <laughs> they've created something and if it's money we want this is how we have to monetize it and I understand yeah. that. I just think that it's an interesting perspective. Uh, and really what is positive about that is that is still that is now feasible today. 30 years ago, 50 years ago, it really wasn't. No. Really no. Wasn't. We are we are in a new time. We are in a new time. And I think we're being called to take on building businesses in a new manner. It's almost like looking at it like the heart needs to come into form. The heart of the organization needs to come into form. And then it can pump blood into all the other organs and, you know, this, this baby can grow. But until the heart is not there, you can't have something that's going to be sustainable. And I think that's where we're at now. And, I, and you said it so beautifully, Howard, you know, this project was not something that came together for profit, right? It was a group of people that just wanted 
to figure out how to help more people. Now we're in the second wind of the project, right? Where we're actually experimenting with testing out our business model, which is perfectly fine because the heart is there now and we've got a value set and we're fluid planning. So as we move, we're just going to breathe through this. We're going to see what works, what doesn't work. And of course, we want to be able to have people feel like this is value for their time as well. The people coming on board, like you said, the, the second phase of the project requires a different type of people, a different, you know, different type of team members to come on board to help us bring this into the world faster, to scale it, to help more people, to be of service to more um, to, to different types of people around the world. And we can't do that just with our founding team. We're gonna need to get the people on board for that. So the next wind of the project, yes, is going to require more, I like to call it fluid planning and fluid strategy building. And then with that, we start to birth the ideas and the things that we have been building in the background into the world, like the EXI playbook, which you so beautifully helped us mold after we had a you know, pool of community members members, right, core team members, put all their wisdom into a document. And so for anyone on the show, Howard has been the lead on putting the exponential individual playbook together and getting it out the door on Amazon. It is now on Amazon available um, pre-launch. And what this book really is, is just, it just wants to show people a variety of pathways to deeper inner self-awareness, a variety of pathways to reconsider the meaning of life and really be able to help people discover their purpose and ultimately serve the world. And Howard has done an amazing job to help us with different tones of voice of our different core team members string together um, the storyline for this book. So thank you, Howard. Well, on no, behalf thank, of all of us. Well, no, thank you. It's been a, a joy and a pleasure to get to know you and the other team members and work on this. It really has been awesome where, again, the primary, the first focus is on the heart, is on the right mindset. It's, uh, it is not about making money. Um, and so um that is 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 really really critical um well we're out of time that doesn't mean we can't continue the conversation at some other time and thank you so much for your presence today and every day in exi mm -hmm. and your vision for exi and your tenacity and passion for it i think it is is really crit critical and for me I think it gives hope to many people who may feel they do not fit or have the skills to fit or emotionally fit or don't want to fit into the stereotype business or activity. You know, it is not about that. And um, 
and and hopefully that will empower a lot of people. So thank you so much and look forward. We'll continue the conversation, I'm sure, uh, probably on this forum, but probably in many others. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you so much, Howard, for being a part of our family. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs>